We're in John chapter 11. I'm going to begin reading at verse 17. So John chapter 11, I'm going to begin reading at verse 17. We're picking up in the middle of this story of the raising of Lazarus. Jesus received word, you remember, that Lazarus was deathly ill. He delayed two days before coming. And now, after making the journey of about four days, he is showing up. Verse 17, Now when Jesus came to Bethany, it means, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Now, Lord, give us, give us attentive minds and hearts to, to hear, Lord, not just with our ears, but, but within our hearts, within our very souls, to, to, to hear the words of Jesus with understanding, to see Him more clearly. Father, help our little ones to pay attention to those words that you are ready to give to them. Help all of us, whatever's going on in our life, our world, whatever, whatever frustrations or griefs we've dealt with this week, all that, Lord, let it be put aside so that by your grace you might speak into our situation. Give us what we need that we might stand firm by faith in Christ. It is in his name we pray. And so I look out at you this morning and what I see are friends, many of you that I've known for many years, friends that I know will shortly be put to grief. In fact, some in this room carry it even now. You've lost someone you love. But let's be honest, all of us have faced grief and if not will face grief, it's coming. And every one of us in this room we'll stand in the place Martha and Mary are near the fresh grave of someone we care deeply for. That's one of the things that makes this passage so very relevant for us. Because death and the grave, and let's face it, many other griefs are inevitable in this broken world. But notice how for the Christian, Jesus draws near to that place of grieving. In, in fact, it is the presence of Christ that, that brings uh, us comfort and hope as we face grief and death. And that's what I want us to look at here in this story, in this event from the life 
of Jesus. If you were here last time, you remember that Jesus was about a hundred miles away in Batania when he receives word in verse 3 that his dear friend Lazarus is deathly ill. But rather than return immediately, as we might have expected him to do, Jesus remained where he was an additional two days, in which time Lazarus dies. And it's only after he knows Lazarus is dead that Jesus gets his disciples together and begins to make his way back to this little city on the outskirts of Jerusalem, Bethany. Picking up in verse 11 from last week, it says, After saying these things, this instruction he'd given them, um, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples, misunderstanding, say to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he's going to recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant he was taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So death has come. A grief has gripped this family. But Jesus is on His way. And that means there's hope. And so let's look here, first of all, at facing grief as Christ draws near. Because that's the scene, right? They're grieving and Jesus comes near. There's, there's a wonderful promise in Psalm 34, verse 18 that I hope you are aware of. There it says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and He saves the crushed in spirit. He's near to the brokenhearted. And we're about to see that fleshed out here in the lives of this grieving family. Now, it takes four days for Jesus and His disciples to make their way back to Bethany. And so by the time they get there, verse 7 says, they found Lazarus was in the tomb already those four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Jewish custom dictated that the body be buried immediately on the day of death. And in that hot climate with very little uh, embalming to preserve the body, you can imagine why that would be. Putrefaction would set in pretty quickly. So the body would be buried almost immediately. The family would then gather, usually within the family home, and begin to receive visitors. That mourning period uh, would then last another six days for a total of seven, counting the day of death, which is why in the Jewish tradition this is called sitting Shiva, literally sitting seven. Uh, Seven days of mourning. People would come, uh, they'd bring food for the family, they'd reminisce together, and of course they would then sit and cry with you. It struck me as I was reading this how very much like what is still done in the South, that is. Uh, you guys do it a little bit different in Missouri. You know, everything's in the funeral home typically, uh, and, and, and you gather there. But in the South, well, I remember at my father's funeral or my father's death and Amy's father's death, uh, people began to come in droves to the family home. I mean, they just filled the place for a couple of days. And almost always they came with food in hand. It's like the typical southern response uh, to death is to show up on your doorstep and say, I'm so sorry for your loss, but look, I brought pie. As if, you know, pie is always going to fix it. But six days, people came. 
Bethany, we're told, is not far from Jerusalem. Literally, it says 15 stadia, which is about 1.7 miles. And so lots of people came out of Jerusalem. It appears that Lazarus and his sisters were somewhat well-known. Perhaps they were well-off. And so many from the surrounding community come. And of course, those crowds are only going to increase the danger for Jesus. Uh, With all these people coming and going, it's very likely someone's going to tip off the authorities about His presence. There's already been two attempts on His life. And yet here He comes. And we're told that it's on the fourth day after the burial that Jesus came to this house of mourning. The fourth day. That is also significant. Uh, Tradition among the Jews at this time held that the spirit of the dead person would remain near the body for the first three days following death. Uh, Near enough, they believed, to be aware of who was there, right? So to watch what you say, you know, because their spirit might be hovering around. And near enough to the body that there was still hope if it became possible for some kind of resuscitation. There, that there was still the possibility that, 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 that the person uh, might yet return to us. But by the fourth day, as decomposition set in and the appearance of the body began to change, they believed the spirit would then depart. After that, it was thought, there was no more hope for a miraculous cover of any kind. At that point of the fourth day, death is now final, which made the fourth day kind of the day of deepest grief. Because now you know they're not coming back. This is final. And so it's on that fourth day of deepest sorrow, when all hope is lost, that Jesus comes. Verse 20 And so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met Him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if You had been here, my brother would not have died. Notice how each sister in this place of grief is going to react differently. When Martha hears that Jesus has come, she she jumps up and she runs out to meet Him. And boy, she's got words for Him. Mary, on the other hand, remains seated in the house, wrapped, no doubt, in her own sense of sorrow. And isn't it interesting how both those reactions, as John gives them, really do fit the, the profile of these women as we meet elsewhere, as in Luke's Gospel, for instance. Some of you know that story. Back in better days, when Jesus comes to visit Bethany, uh, perhaps for the first time, and we're told that when He entered the village, a woman named, this is Luke 10, 38-42, a woman named Martha welcomed Him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to His teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and uh, she went up to Him and said, Lord... Don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to get up and help me. But Jesus answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken from her. Martha is a doer. She's got to be up and busy. That's how she handles almost every situation. And so it makes sense this is how she'll handle this place of grief. And and she's also not afraid to tell Jesus exactly what is on her mind. Mary, on the other hand, is more of a feeler. 
Mary stays seated, takes it all in, whether the teaching of Jesus or the, the suffering in this place of sorrow. And so we see the character, the, the, the natural tendency of each of these women coming forward. And it is a good reminder to us that, that people handle things differently. In fact, we all handle grief in different ways. Not everyone handles it in the way that you do. And, and sometimes you just got to let grieving people work through the grief the way they're going to work through it. And not rush them and not think, well, you ought to be doing it this way over here. And then just, just be ready to let them deal with it the way they're going to deal with it. And so Jesus comes and he, he actively engages Martha with words of comfort and truth because, well, she's ready to hear that. But notice when we get to Mary next week in verse 32 to 35, He doesn't engage her at all. He just weeps with her. (laughs) One He engages, the other He just weeps. You understand Jesus knows what He's doing as He handles our souls. He knows what we need and and He knows how to meet us in that place of need. And oh dear church, we can learn a lot from Jesus about how to treat one another in these tender times. But Martha jumps up and comes running, and boy, does she have words for Jesus. Almost imagine her coming, hands on her hips, maybe thumbs pointed forward. And she says, Lord, if, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. If you'd have been here. Grief brings a lot of frustration and anger. It's part of the package. And Jesus knows that. And by the way, you'll notice Jesus can handle that. At no time, either when Martha says this or later when Mary says this, does he rebuke either of these sisters for saying, if you'd just been here. No, we can't hear the tone of her voice in either of this, so there's some interpretation taking place there. But, but it's clear this is what she means. We called, and you didn't come in time. And because you didn't come in time, he's gone. She says it politely. But that is what she is saying. And He lets her. Now isn't that wonderful? (laughs) Friend, listen, when you're in pain, Jesus can handle your venting. He doesn't get upset when you stand and say, Why, Lord? Or where were you, Lord? Or what's up with this, Lord? In fact, I find that all over the Bible. We dealt with laments about a year ago. And you might remember Psalm 10 verse 1 where the psalmist goes to the Lord and says, Why, Lord, do you stand far off? I'm seeking you and you're nowhere to be found. Why do you hide yourself during these times of trouble? Because let's be honest, that's how it feels sometimes. And so when when you're in that place and that's how it feels, say it. Go to God with your complaint. We just sang about complaint. Go to God with your complaint and pour it out to Him because quite honestly, many times that's the first step in healing. Because even when you're turning to Him with your complaint and your questions and you're not understanding, you're turning to Him. You're shifting your focus back on Him and He doesn't rebuke her. He doesn't correct her in that moment. He just comforts her with His presence. And again, we can learn a lot from Jesus and how we deal with one another. You know, you just let some stuff go. Because third, we see here that a grieving believer, a grieving believer needs time to work through their pain. 
as they seek a deeper foundation of faith. We see that in Martha specifically. She says, where were you, Lord? Verse 21, but then verse 22, faith sort of pokes its head and she says, but, but, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. I've not lost faith in you. I'm just, I'm just wounded. I mean, do you see what's happening with those two verses side by side? This is, this is faith working its way through the grief. This is, this is faith trying to, try, trying to see clearly through the, through, the, through the dimmed eye of tears. I mean, sometimes, sometimes it takes work to see clearly when your eyes are dimmed with tears. And so think about what, what she's dealing with here. There's this disconnect in her heart between what she knows to be true. Jesus loves us. He's good. He's faithful. He can heal. There's a disconnect between that and what she feels right now. But He didn't come. I mean, come on. You've been there? She knows He can heal. She knows He can help. She knows He can do the miraculous. She knows the power of God works through Him. But what she feels is loss and disappointment. Because despite all that, he wasn't there and he didn't do it. You ever fight that tension? And understand, that's the place where your faith will either grow as you turn back to him or falter as you turn away. You see, faith fails when we let the pain drive us from Jesus and refuse to listen to what He has to say. But faith grows and becomes more firmly established when we're willing to turn and trust Him and wait for Him to speak. And I love the way she does that here. Verse 22, But even now, look at those words, Lord, I'm hurting. I don't understand where you were. But even now I know. I know who you are. Dear friends, sometimes in the middle of the pain and confusion, what your faith needs more than anything is just that little bit of, but even now. I'm turning, I'm complaining, I'm telling you how I feel, but even now, Lord, I will trust you. So Martha's had her say. She's ready to listen. She's, she's told Him what's on her mind. She's expressed her pain and disappointment, but she's, she's also steadied her faith with even now. And she's looking to Him and she's ready to listen. There's the second thing we need to see then, that we find hope in our sorrows when we turn and listen to Jesus speak. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know. I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, and I almost imagine him taking kind of her chin in his hand and saying, no, no, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So Jesus responds to her grief with this, with this word of hope. Verse 23, your brother will rise again. That's a really good place to start, isn't it? Jesus gently reminds her of a gospel truth which she knows already but needs perhaps reminded of. In church, in our grief, we have that gospel truth to fall back on. Paul tells us in times of grief to remind one another of it. 1 Thessalonians 4, he says, I don't want you to be uninformed about those who fall asleep in death, he means, 
That you don't grieve as others do who have no hope. So we do grieve. We just don't grieve like the hopeless. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. Verse 16, For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Verse 18, Therefore comfort, encourage one another with these words. And these these words are encouraging, aren't they? That day of resurrection is coming. We, We know that, as Martha says here. And if that's all Jesus was saying, hey, Martha, that day will come, the day, the day will come that your brother rises, if that's all he said, that would be worth it and that would be helpful. And she would understand that. In fact, her, her response in verse 24, that's what she thinks he's saying. Yes, Lord, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. I've been to Sabbath school. I, I paid attention to the lessons. There is a day of resurrection coming. She knows this truth. She believes this truth. She's encouraged by this truth. Faith in the resurrection was in fact common among the Jewish people, the average people in her days. Even the Pharisees of all people had this one right. That this was, this was one of their central tenets. This was one of their claims to fame. They believe one day God's going to speak the word and the dead are going to rise. They believed it. Their opponents, the Sadducees, did not believe it. Sadducees taught that when you're dead, you're dead. No life after death, no resurrection. That was the Sadducees and perhaps that's why they were always sad, you see. Yeah, sorry. But the average believer, the average believing Jew, believed this, well, because the prophets said it. Daniel chapter 12, verse 2 says, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Faithful Jews knew a resurrection day was coming. Jesus had taught that explicitly to His disciples. Perhaps Martha had been there when Jesus in John 5 said to all who were listening, Don't marvel, for an hour is coming when all who are in their tombs will hear the voice of the Son of Man and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Martha knew that. She knew that day was coming. She, she could affirm the doctrine and she got comfort, no doubt, from that doctrine. Maybe 20 people have already said that to her this week. But we know that Jesus has more in mind than just to give her comfort about a reality coming eons down the line. So imagine the scene again with me and put yourself there with Martha. Put yourself in her sandals. And Jesus comes to you in your grief, and there at the graveside He says, Your brother will rise again. And you turn and you say, Lord, thank You for that pleasant thought. I know He'll rise one day. I attended Sabbath school, and and I am comforted by that. And then Jesus looks right in your eyes and says, No, no, no. You don't understand. I don't just mean a resurrection one day. I am the resurrection. I am the life. And I'm standing right here. I am present and that changes everything. 
And so look what he was saying here. Three, three things in these two verses uh, that are meant to give hope and confidence in the face of the resurrection, specifically in the face of death and grief. Uh, specifically to her, but, but also to us. First of all, he tells her that he himself is the resurrection and life she needs. In other words, he doesn't just give resurrection and life one day. He is resurrection and life manifest. I mean, do you see that? Do you see how he's shifting her attention away from something she needs, resurrection for her brother, to the one she needs, which is Christ? Do you see that he's, he's moving her from a mere abstract faith in the doctrine of the resurrection as something God will do one day to the very presence and person of Christ standing there before her now? As one author put it, He's moving her, he's moving, Jesus' concern is to divert Martha's focus from an abstract belief in what will take place on the last day to a personalized belief in Him alone who can provide it. I mean, that's big. And so she, and and let's make it personal, we need more than a mere doctrinal belief in what God can do. We need a personal trust in Him who does it. This is more, uh, this is more uh, than seeing her brother get raised from the dead. This is about seeing Jesus as the very life and power that raises the dead and gives them life forever. And In fact, look at His words again. I know you caught it. I am the resurrection and the life. I'm sure that I am. Is that ringing any bells in the belfry? That this is the fifth of seven times Jesus says I am in John's Gospel in this way that identifies Him as more than just a prophet, more than just a preacher. It identifies Him as the very God who stood before Moses in the burning bush and said to Him, I am. In Exodus 3.14 Remember that scene, Moses says, you know, Who are you, Lord, that we should trust you? Who are you that that, that you can overcome the powers of mighty Egypt? And God says, I am the very power that created and upholds the entire universe, Moses. Pharaoh and Egypt, they're nothing to me. Now Jesus says to this grieving sister, I am the very life and power of resurrection. Death and the grave, they mean nothing to me. I am the very life and power of the resurrection. You see, again, it's important to see, He's not just pointing her to a thing she needs to believe in. He is pointing her to Himself as the person she must trust. Believe me, He says, I am the resurrection and the life. If you have me, you, you have these things. First John 5, 11 and 12, it says, This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's all about Christ. It's all in Christ. We get the life we need by going to Christ. 
Christ. And so he's not offering to give life. He's not saying, I'm one option among many for a possible resurrection. He says, I am the resurrection and life. I'm all there is. I'm all you need because if you have me, you have it all. And so friend, listen. Don't just go to Jesus looking to get life from Him. Go to Him as the life you need. Don't just hope that He'll give you resurrection one day. Hope in Him as the resurrection day itself. John 1 4 says, In Him was life. Resurrection comes through faith union with Christ. We get it by having Christ. And if we have Christ, we have resurrection power living within us. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Second thing he tells her and tells us is that by faith in Christ, because Jesus is the resurrection and life, by faith in Christ, we gain assurance of eternal life even when we must face physical death. Whoever believes in me, though he die... Yet shall he live. Okay, imagine your day of death. Imagine the scene of your deathbed. Now, we don't like doing that as modern day Americans. It's actually a pretty good exercise. Jonathan Edwards once wrote to one of his sons who was in college and and urged him, think daily of your coming death. We say how morbid, and I say probably no more how healthy. To realize that that, that that day is coming, that, that, that we will eventually be there, and we ought to live our lives now with full vigor in light of the fact that we will die. But imagine that day of your coming death. As you're laying there, and that last ragged breath is forming within your lungs, what are you hoping in? What's going to give courage to your heart as it slows to its final beat? In that moment, are you trusting that maybe, hopefully, you've had enough good works to to balance the scales? Good luck with that. You never have and never will. Are you hoping maybe you'll just skate by and and be lucky, you know, and land in that happy place? Everyone seems to think they're going to, but again, it's never going to happen. Not based on who you are. But what if you can hear these words of Jesus whispered by the Spirit into your ears? That whoever believes in me, whoever is bound to me by faith, though he die, yet shall he live. Though he die, yes, it will happen, and you will, and I will. Death is coming, because that's the, that's the reality because of sin in this world. Though he die, yet if he believes in me, if he's bound to me by faith, the power of my life in him flowing through that channel of faith gives the guarantee, yet shall he live. Literally those words, yet shall he come to life. <laughs> because the power that gives life lives in you. When you die physically, that life cannot be, cannot be divided from you and it will cause you to live forever because of Jesus. Right? Because He lives. You know that one? I can face tomorrow. Because He lives. All fear is gone. Because I know who holds the future. And life is worth the living just because He lives. 
He who believes and lives in me, he's never going to die. And you need proof of that? You need proof that life lives in Jesus? Well, just hang around for next week and we're going to go to the graveside of Lazarus, four days dead, mold has set in, and Jesus is going to speak the word and Lazarus is going to spring up out of that grave and his sisters are going to be amazed because he's alive. Or better yet, stick around to the end of John's Gospel, read it yourself, and watch as death takes hold of him and tries to drag him down and hold him down. And when the Father says, Enough! Death loses all power and Jesus stands forward, not just resuscitated, but raised in the glory of eternal life forever. And you see, that's the Christ who lives in us and gives us assurance. And so third, he tells us in verse 26, those then who have Christ's life living in them cannot be harmed by death at all for all eternity. Verse 26, and everyone who lives, that is spiritually because of me, and believes in me shall never die. You know, there's a lot of foolishness out there where people think that we in ourselves are immortal. They, they think of human beings as naturally immortal. We're all just going to live forever because that's just, that's just what we do. You understand that is not biblical Christianity, that's Greek philosophy. The only life that you have is the life God has given you. And in fact, what's inside of you by nature is not life that just goes on. What's inside of you by nature is death. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. That's what we've earned. Uh, Hebrews 9.27 says that just as there is appointed for man to die once and after that there comes the judgment. Death, hell, and judgment are, are what are waiting for us. They're what we've earned. They're what's at the end of this road that we're all walking. But it is that very reality of death, hell, and judgment that Jesus came to shatter for those who trust Him and are linked to Him by faith. That's what this verse is saying. Christ's life in us overcomes all the power of death for us. Those who are united to Christ by faith, even though they die physically, they will live forever eternally. That's what verse 25 says. And verse 26 then says, And everyone who has this life in them spiritually through faith in Christ, he will never ever die. This is one of those wonderful passages... The Greek has this strange way of piling double negatives to make something absolutely certain. And that's what he's, literally what it says is, everyone who has this life alive in them by faith shall never, never, no, never die to all eternity. Which means that instead you will live and rejoice and delight in Christ in the Father's presence forever and ever. Amen. And he says that, and then he looks her in the eye and he says to her, Do you believe this? See, here's where it gets personal. It is those who come personally to Christ by faith who gain this assurance. Do you see that? Martha, here's the truth. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I mean, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where faith moves from being theoretical to actual. He doesn't ask her, do you accept this doctrine? 
He doesn't say, will you affirm belief in the resurrection as part of your formal confession of faith before you join our church? He isn't asking, will you check off the right box? So whether you believe it or not, just put your check there, you know, because that's what we, we want people to do. He looks her in the eye and says, do you, Martha, believe this? Do you personally trust me to be who I've claimed and to do all I've promised? Friend, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where the rubber meets the road for you. Do you believe Him? Do you place your faith personally in Christ to, to be who He claims and to do all He promises? And to cast all on Him. No holds barred. No asterisks. Uh, no, you know, see page two for my... No, I'm just going to cast all on you and I'm going to trust you because I trust, I, I believe you. I love her answer. Do you see it? Verse 27. Do you believe this? Martha says, Yes, Lord, I believe that You are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Amen. Do you understand? This is why Jesus was four days late. He hadn't just come to call His friend Lazarus up from the grave. He has come to call Martha and Mary and anyone else who's paying attention to a living faith from spiritual eternal death to spiritual eternal life. To, to let them see His glory. Isn't that what He said when the Word first came? He says, this, this whole thing is not going to end in death. Verse 4, it's going to end in glory. Jesus has come as He's come and let them pass through what they've passed through because Jesus has a much greater gift to give them than the resurrection of their brother. Jesus wants them to have the resurrection life that lives forever and assures them that even when death comes physically, spiritually, they'll be alive forever and then one day raised physically forever to enjoy His presence with their raised a second time. Wow, mind-blowing as far as Lazarus is concerned. Their brother Lazarus. And friend, that's what He wants for you. Right now, what Jesus wants more than anything is for you to see Him for who He is and trust Him no matter what. Knowing that life is in Him. Uh, knowing that, 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 that He shares it freely and lavishly to those who trust Him. And, and look, does she, look how she trusts Him. Lord, I believe, she says. I believe you. She doesn't just say, I believe this or that. I believe that, you know, that doctrine. Lord, I believe you. You are the Christ, the Son of God. And having you, I have all this other stuff. I'm not seeking you to get something else. I'm seeking you for you. Because having you, all that other stuff falls into place. Lord, I believe You are the Christ, Son of God, the coming One. And dear church, that's who He is. He's the Messiah. He's God's Son. God made flesh to dwell among us, to take our sin, to die in our place, to rise on the third day. He came into this world as He did to save sinners who turn and trust in Him. This is the promise He's holding out for her. It's the promise He'll ultimately hold out for Lazarus. It's the promise He holds out for us. In fact, it's very interesting, and this is, this is where we close. Toward the end of John's Gospel, when He turns finally and faces me and you, the reader... Right, Me and you, the listener. He is going to challenge us with almost exactly the words Martha uses here. 
Martha comes to this profession of faith and says, Lord, I believe that You are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. The light comes on. I see who You are. I trust You no matter what. And John then gets to the end of his gospel and turns to me and you, the reader, and he says in John 20, verse 31, and all these things have been written, this whole gospel has been put on paper and passed down for 20 centuries so that you, dear reader, may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. And so next week we'll get to see Lazarus rise from the dead. But in all of that, what we're meant to see not only is not only one miracle that took place 2,000 years ago, the physical raising of a man who would then die again. He wants you to see that this is the power at work in Jesus whom you believe so that though you die physically, you will live eternally and be raised forever because the power of Christ that can raise Lazarus is at work to raise you. And the bigger work is you and me believing that promise and coming to life by faith in Jesus. And so Lord, as we read these events from the life of Jesus, would you give us eyes to see not only the picture clearly in front of us, but the bigger picture, which is our call to step in the shoes of Mary and Martha and even Lazarus and with them see who you are, trust what you promise, and receive the gifts you only can give. God, give encouragement to the one here in grief. Give encouragement to the one here in doubt. Give encouragement to the one here struggling with whatever he or she may be struggling with, that we would see Jesus for who He is, trust Him for all that He promises, and walk daily in that certainty of grace. Amen.